it is a very weird concept when you think it's like a war between us trying to get information and them not giving the information. Alex mentioned the phrase cat and mouse game. Yes. Always that with, you know, these like servers or, you know, the developers from other websites that don't want to be scraped. They're, they for, keep coming. For us with... developers, we're the soldiers and for us it's war. Hello and welcome to the OxyCast, the show where we talk about everything web scraper related. My name is Augie, Augustinas Calves. Um, call me whatever you want. Um, and right on the next side of this little table, we have my beloved colleague and friend, Martina Solos. Why don't yes. you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Martina Solos, as uh, Augie kind of introduced me. I am a Python developer here at OxyLabs. And I've been doing scrapers for the past three years here. Martini, how experienced would you call yourself? Are you at a mid-senior level already? I am at mid-mid level. Okay. Um, so I was thinking about um, establishing a little bit about the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, I wanted to talk about web scrapers, but in the sort of technical side of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to honestly start with the most basic question, which is what do you think a web scraper is from the technical side? Before we move forward, let's clarify some terminology. We noticed that the internet sometimes uses the term web scraping a little bit differently than what we're used to here at Oxylabs. Web scraping, as a term, tends to cover multiple processes, scraping, parsing, and even crawling. As developers, we should try to be as concrete as possible when we're talking about technical things, which is why, in general, we avoid the term web scraping and instead use those individual terms. Let's start with scraping. Scraping means to request the web server for data from a web page. For example, we have a website called potatomarketplace.com. We use curl or any other HTTP client in order to get the raw data, which can be HTML, JSON, or even an image. Parsing means to filter out particular information from the raw data. This usually means that the scraped data is analyzed in order to filter out the necessary information, which can later be structurized into JSON, CSV, or other data formats. And last but not least, we have crawling. Scraping a web page, parsing for links, and repeating for every parsed link. So that means that we scrape a web page, we parse the HTML, and during this process, we're looking for links pointing to other web pages. And then we scrape and parse over and over again until we run out of links to follow. This extended process is what we call crawling. Now with clear terminology, we can move forward. Oh, so a scraper is very basic when you think about it. It's, it's just a mechanism that goes to a certain website and extra, extracts data from there, fetches it. All right. Mostly it's just the HTML or the, the web page. Okay, and um, have you ever built a web scraper yourself? Yes, very long ago. I don't really remember the de details, but mostly I've made my own scraper to bypass the RSS for updates in a certain form of mine. 
I wanted to see the updates in almost real time and see uh, exact updates, not just uh, forward forum posts. Okay, and um, that was a long time ago, right? Yes. You remember how long ago that was? <sighs> that would be somewhere at the start of my university time, so about seven to eight years. Wait, and you said you worked in Oxy? For three years here. Okay, so it's a three-year window from the point where you had to build your own web scraper. And to, till I started working, you... yes. It's, okay. It's a weird coincidence like that. And, um, well, I know it was a long time ago, but perhaps you remember any sorts of issues that you encountered while, while building that particular web scraper? Well, basically, uh, most of my issues back then were inexperienced, let's say. I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> so I just went in and started writing something, made a lot of mistakes. Most of them were not understanding how internet works in general and what you do with the, the data from the internet. And now would you say you're comfortable with your understanding of the internet? Uh, yes, maybe. Maybe. Well, uh, I mean, it changes every day and usually there are some dark corners of the internet that you, I wouldn't want to know, but that's a topic for another day. Okay, and so three years in Oxy, well, you've probably had quite the journey so far, probably encountered oh, yes. a lot of web scrapers and maybe even built your own? Uh, built my own, no, but I usually maintain the, the scraper that we had here. Alright, and um, what would you say are the differences between um, all sort of like the web scraper that you built yourself all those years ago and the ones that we maintain here at Oxy? Uh, generally, well, the first word that I put between my own little project and the, the scraper that I'm working here would be scale. The, the, the sheer scale, how, how bigger it is, how many more requests it, uh, it accommodates and what kind of targets they are scraping. Because the, that little forum of mine had nothing. Like I could just shoot one or two requests into it every day and be happy with it. But now here, we have to, we have to deal with almost thousands in, in a second. So if you had to you know, give me some sort of number, how many requests do you think your little scraper from back then used to do per day in comparison to the one that... As I said, about two, three a day. Two, three a day of your little web script. Yes, and that was sufficient for me. And here we probably do by the millions, right? In, in a day, yes. If we had to uh, rough numbers, it would all... In, if we count how much in a month, go, the number would go into millions. Okay, so the scale is an issue, right? Um, what about um, any other issues that you... Mm, I'm not sure if that would be an issue because, as I said, that then it was more no, it, of an it's, it, it, it's, it's it's more, more of an inexperienced thing. But now, seeing what you scrape and how the scraper acts, the observability part, I feel it's very important as well. If you don't know why your scraping failed or some issues happened, you wouldn't even uh, know what to fix. Right, because when you're building your own little web scraper and you're playing with it locally, you can use the debugger and then you can actually see what's happening under the hood, but then you can't do that in production, right? Mm -hmm. So observability is clearly important so that we can see what's really happening in our own scrapers here yes, at Oxylabs. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
how do we make observability happen in general? Um, do you happen to know some of the toolings that we use or? Generally, we use the log, we log our all the events that happen in our system and store and use the all elastic search uh, stack just to see, to aggregate all the data and see in the past how it's going. Uh, we have certain metrics that we used to observe with Prometheus. And now we're entering the deep waters of the open telemetry object. Uh, not object, I mean project. It's slip. Yeah, um, I recently picked up a Rust book by Luca Palmieri where he talked about the concept of tracing. So if I'm not mistaken, open telemetry is a, a tracing library, right? It's an open project that uh, tries to standardize all tracing methods and so on. So logs, metrics, traces, but we're still kind of young in the trace sphere of things. Yes, the um, trifecta of observability, yes. Um, anything else that comes to mind? Uh, no. Any other big issues or? Well, the reason why we need observability is not just because the scrapers would crash and burn sometimes, but sometimes the targets that we scrape don't want to give us information. If we don't know what happened then. Um, so what's happening here? The targets, they don't want to give us information. Oh, right. I think we talked about this last episode. Um, Alex mentioned that businesses usually don't want to be scraped because yes. well, it's it's not in their best interest. This, this, is what, this would be the crux here for, for us at Oxalabs, what we're mostly dealing. What do we call that? Uh, we basically call it blo being blocked. Okay, so we even have a name for this particular issue already. Yes. Um, so we know why it happens. Um, how are we blocked, really? What, what happens when we are blocked? We don't know. Well, how should I say? Why it happens, we do know from, from what Alex said. But how we're blocked? In general, The target this, uh, decides to either give you the information or not, not the, the, the web page, right? Mm -hmm. And the blocking usually appears in just outright for, uh, being forbidden from it. It can, they, they can give you false information if they determine if you're, if you're uh, well, a, an antagonist for them. And the third way is, well, what's most common for all people is capture pages. Mm -hmm. You need to prove that you're not a, a bot. Okay. Um, how do you even solve a captcha? Uh, I, mean, I mean, there's so many things I want to ask about this, but this is take take take, take your time. I I'm, I'm I'm here all day. Okay. Um, no, but I'm really interested in um, what do you do? Image recognition or, or something like that? If no. there's a captcha, uh, usually. Credit where credits do, they do a good job. It's very, very difficult to bypass a captcha using the technology that we have right now. So instead of brute forcing a captcha, even if there were tries from our side to do so, uh, we tend to avoid it whatsoever. We try to avoid blocking. Avoid it. Yes. 
The idea of blocking is that you're blocked when the target believes you're a bot. To avoid that, you need to show yourself as a human. How? Act as a human. And, well, how do they know that we're a bot? And that, that's where, where, where our job begins. Okay. You need to understand the ways they, understand, they find that we're bots and avoid those. So, what are those ways then, or well, it, or is that like a secret that you're not? Uh, no, 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 no. You you can pray, practically Google it, and then you get mo a lot of answers. But there are very few important points. Okay. The first one being uh, that we all uh, communicate through the HTTP protocol, right? Mm -hmm. And the HTTP protocol has uh, can have parameters. That and those parameters are usually just to help uh, the target to understand what kind of browser is asking for information. Do you need to format the, the page, change some uh, fields, or make it more accessible? And yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of, a lot of reasons why one would uh, address the parameters. So if I remember correctly, that's through headers and, and yes. things such as that. Um... Or, in, well, a lot of things, but mostly, mo mostly headers, cookies, and so on. Cookies are part of the headers, I think. But, okay. Um, they might see some suspicious activity from those parameters, and they would believe you're not human. Like, let's say, uh, the easiest one would be curl, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a CLI. Uh, well, how should I say it? I don't remember I know how. About... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I don't remember exact terminology what curl does, but it does a lot. But mostly, it just does a HTTP request. Right, and yeah, it's a CLI tool that you just yes. use to usually ping a website. I mm -hmm. use it to debug my internet connection all the time. You know, curl google.com, see if anything comes back. Yes, if um, you can't reach Google, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, then the obvious question would be. How would a website know that you're using curl? I know that there are headers, right, that probably give away that kind of information. Generally, if you are not specifying anything, then the browser or the tool that you're using usually fills in the gaps. The user agent is one of more important uh, headers. So it usually fills in just to say what kind of browser you are. If you're using a Google Chrome browser, for instance, it will set the user agent that would define what operation system, what version of it, and what kind of browser was uh, or engine was asking for this uh, type of request. So what you're saying is basically if I change my user agent from time to time, I have a better chance of not being blocked by a website? Not quite, not quite, but it's one of the uh, parts. Okay, so there's more to the story. Yeah, it's there's not, more to the story. Not it's not just the user yes. agent, right? Um, so, get back to the suspicious parameters part. If, for instance, if you're using curl and curl automatically puts on uh, its user agent, like I'm curl, mm -hmm. please give me your uh, give me your information. They would be start believe. Wait, this is weird. That's not a human. Yeah, he he yeah. would not browse that web page like a human would do. And right. they say, 
you're gone. Stop it. Okay. Stop it. Just because of the user agent. But yes. you're saying that there's more to it. There's more to it. There's a lot of uh, headers that they can address to, like refer refer uh, referee uh, header that goes into, let's say, you came from Google. If you came from uh, somewhere else, would they uh, can, would they believe you? Um, I personally, if I was you know doing a security system, I would think that it doesn't usually matter that much because, well, maybe if my website is loved by my users, you know, it's possible that they entered my URL directly instead of you know being redirected there from Google or, or some other search. But imagine that your connection is a new one. You're a new person, not an old comer. Absolutely new. Yes. Computer, you know, trying to connect to a website. Imagine someone is directly connecting out of no refer without okay. knowing. Yeah, I think I can see why that would be suspicious. That would be suspicious and you would uh, scrutinize the request tomorrow. You know, it might not necessarily be um, a deal breaker, but it would surely add to my suspicions. I would probably still need even more data to, you know, be absolutely sure that it's yes. a bot. Yes, and that's where statistical preview uh, point happens. Usually, when the target has so many requests coming to, to, to them every day, right? You cannot check them all, right? You can't scrutinize every parameter and see if they're a bot or not. So you tend to use a statistical viewpoint. And if you see someone is, somebody is using parameter combination that does not really work with their statistics, they would actually mark you as a suspicious uh, request. But you can do that you know, on the other side of the spectrum. Like they use statistics to defend themselves. We can use statistics to be more credible. Yes, but their data range is way larger than ours. Okay. They get millions of requests. We're doing like, let's say, two thousand per second requests. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a gap in knowledge here. So are these statistics made from only the headers or not just headers? They they might have IP locations as well. Okay. If you're shooting everything from the same subnet, maybe that's kind of suspicious. If you're shooting 1000 requests from one computer, it might be suspicious as well. If you if you're if we're being putting like very arbitrary numbers here. What if you're uh citizen from China where you know the internet is probably very how should I say it tight you know there's many mm -hmm. IP addresses in the same location I am not specialized in this part I wouldn't say what exact tools they use here okay. um, but in general I think they have their own workarounds with their own ISPs just to get, get the information they need or they just get blocked outright it's not a first time you hear <laughs> some websites being blocked yeah I think Alex mentioned a little bit that, you know, we have proxy products and one of the ways that I can think of how I would solve that is, you know, either use an IP address from a location where there's usually an incredibly huge amount of IP addresses in, you know, one small zone, or, you know, I would just use a proxy or a VPN or something mm -hmm. among those lines. So I, I'm guessing that's what we do. Yes. we. We, to fake ourselves not doing the same request from the same point, we do use proxies mm -hmm. that will fake our IP and that would make 
a lot worse for, for the target to understand if you're a bot or a human. Okay. And usually by default, they pick human. There are some targets that are very, very adamant about their security and they would uh, set by default that any uh, suspicious uh, connection or a thing that they cannot check, it's a bot, so they need to be, to, to be checked. That way, when you're, uh, when you're checked, you get a cookie, so you, you came to their website and now you're identified as a, someone that came to the website before, and you use that cookie until they think, wait, this guy is doing something suspicious. Mm -hmm. You gotta check. All right, so what I'm hearing from this is that, you know, you have a risk of getting your IP blocked, really. That um, is usually the easiest way for them to restrict. Right. And restrict any further requests. Okay. Um, still, I'm thinking that, you know, even if we were a proxy provider or something like that, um, we still have a limited amount of IP addresses, right? Yes. So you can practically think of them as a resource at this point. Okay. So if you're always doing the same request without changing anything with, this, uh, with the same proxy, it will might be flagged as a bot. Some targets even to see if the proxy is from a same subnet and they will kill some, uh, some part of that subnet and say, we don't want any requests from the subnet. Right and it might become a problem. Because if you run out of bees, who, how can you scrape anything? So it's not just about, you know, getting your, it's not just about scraping a single website. It's also about, you know, scraping it responsibly. Yes. So that's what Alex meant last time. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Now I think I'm connecting the dots here. So if you're not actually being careful about the resources that you're using, if you're not careful about, you know, the way that you're making these requests with, you know, some specific IP addresses, there's a risk that your IP addresses are going to get banned, right? Mm -hmm. If it happens enough times, well, then suddenly you're either going to have to spend more money on getting more IP addresses or, yes. or, well, you're not going to be able to scrape the website. I mean, there are, there are some ways of how to, to go, go around that. There are like DC proxies mm -hmm. and there's like residential proxies. You can ask to use a very expensive but a real machine to do requests. Right. And those are more likely to, to pass because they are more likely to be believed as real human devices. Okay. Um... Okay, I want to talk about, you know, maybe there's some other ways of, of getting blocked that you know about. Um, there are some, but they become more of an exception, like the territory of exceptions rather than rules. Okay, yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, you can validate probably a request through, you know, all of these HTTP protocol things, mm -hmm. like the headers, right, or the cookies. There's the TLS handshake, what kind of, uh, well, how, what are the secure connection you're doing? Yeah. Some targets really do take that into consideration. But then, you know, if you're using something like curl to scrape every single website, mm -hmm. 
Um, what if I'm validating that you're a real user through something like your mouse movements? Because you can do that with JavaScript. Yes, that's uh, that is one of the exceptions. Well, not it's becoming a rule these days because most of the websites are starting to use JavaScript more and more. So basically, the main idea is that we've just talked about blocking when there's a single request, mm -hmm. right? Now, what if there are a chain of multiple requests that you need to go through to get validated. Mm -hmm. Most common way of seeing that is when you enter the web page, it does not load everything instantly. Mm -hmm. it, where it loads the templates, the stock elements, and so on, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could probably validate that you know you loaded a CDN image before you loaded a local image. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they do un, un, a browser does extra JavaScript uh, actions, right? Mm -hmm. And that results in more requests towards them. And usually they are they help with validation, and that's how they work it out. So, what kind of tools you then use to mm. get around that? We work with certain headless technologies like Pipeteer or Playwright mm -hmm. and so on. I've never heard of those. Well, basically imagine their goal is not to work as a mechanism that does a HTTP request, mm -hmm. but a mechanism that emulates a browser okay. in the virtual environment. Okay. Um, For instance, they will open up a whole Chromium. So like Selenium? Selenium is a headless technology as well. Okay. Um, all right, and so you're using these headless browsers in order to basically emulate a browser and then... And let it do the, everything that the browser would do, like doing JavaScript actions. Okay. But that's expensive. I wanted to summarize a little bit, you know, of what we talked about just now. So there's the HTTP protocol things. Um, we need to be careful about those, mm -hmm. right? Then there's, I guess, the kind of requests that you do. Those also matter. Like, you know, maybe you're making a post request somewhere. Yes, yes. Um, you emulate the browser in order to uh, fake yourself as a real user, basically. Yes, yes. Um, is there anything else we missed? If we missed something, those would appear, mm -hmm. and that's our basically our job to work with such unique problems, let's say. Okay. And but these are mainly what you've encountered in 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 this kind of sphere. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, um, Martini, is there anything else you want to say about you know blocking in general or or web scraping? Any other thoughts that you have about this topic? Sure, it's, it is a very weird concept when you think it's like a war between us trying to get information and them not giving the information. Alex mentioned the phrase cat and mouse game. Yes. Always that with, you know, these like servers or, you know, the developers from other websites that don't want to be scraped. They're they keep for, coming for us developers, we're the soldiers, and for us, it's war. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and they keep developing new techniques to recognize us. But you know, in general, it's probably you know, 
it's either headers or it's either, you know, some form of, of checking you via JavaScript. After so long that the internet has been developed, not for like several decades, right? Right. The technologies of scraping and both detection have evolved. Mm -hmm. So these kind of things about parameters that we've talked, before they were exceptions as well, but now they're rules. Mm -hmm. The same as I said, JavaScript is becoming more and more part of the, of, of the whole browsing experience. It's a trend basically that mm -hmm. just kept following you with the times and then that trend became common knowledge and, yes. and everybody's doing it. Okay. Um, anything else that we missed? Uh, from me, no, unless you have some questions extra. Extra questions. Um, no, I don't think I have any more questions. I will keep the other questions uh, about the next topic that we will have. Um, and I thought it would be? Um, it's going to be about the next step after you scrape a website. Oh, yes. Let me guess. It's called parsing, isn't yeah, it? And there you have it, folks. This was the episode with Martina Solus, our expert on scraping. Well then, uh, Martina, do you happen to know about our little ending phrase? No, not really. Oh, well, before that. Um, Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. I'd like you to visit us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, and, of course, on YouTube. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, scrape responsibly and parse safely.